Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 3. Today I'm so honored to have Joanne Ware on our podcast. She's somebody who I've loved on television and in her books, and I've really enjoyed her food writing as well, and I'm really so happy to have her on the show. She is a James Beard Award-winning cookbook author, international cooking teacher, and renowned chef. She was a chef at the famous Chez Panisse in Berkeley, California, and has hosted Joanne Ware's Cooking Class, Joanne Ware Gets Fresh, Joanne Ware's Plates and Places, and Ware's Cooking in the Wine Country, as well as being on several TV shows and guest appearances on all channels, such as The Today Show, Good Morning America, and more. She is the co-owner of Copita, a modern Mexican restaurant in Tacleria in Sausalito, California, and she is the author of From Tapas to Mies, as well as We're Cooking in the City Companion book, Wine Country Cooking, Tequila, A Guide to Types, Flights, Cocktails and Bites, Cooking Confidence, and her newest food memoir, Kitchen Gypsy, Recipes and Stories from a Lifelong Romance with Food, which is a wonderful cookbook that also is a combined autobiography I really recommend as well. I'm so happy to have Joanne on the show. I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to her, and I know you're going to love the conversation too. So, Onward to our interview. Well, season librarian. Today on my podcast, I'm very honored to have chef, TV host, author, restaurant owner, chef Joanne Ware. Thank you for being on my podcast. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you. I, you know, I've been watching your your TV shows and reading your cookbooks, and I've just been. Um, really in awe of all the different hats you've worn over the years. You've been a chef, a TV host, author of TV shows, a food writer. Where did your love of food come from? Where did it begin for you? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I can really go back to like uh, being uh, two years old because my mom was a professional cook. So was my grandfather and my great-grandmother. So I'm four generations of professional cooks. And uh, so I live, breathe, think food. And so does everybody in my family. So um, I've been very lucky. Now, um, what led you to become a chef? I mean, I know you said that it runs in your family, but what was like, was there a crossroads for you where you had to think about it anytime? Yeah, there definitely was because for, um, I studied fine arts in college and I got my degree to, I got a bachelor of fine arts in both art education, but also photography. Now I shoot with an iPhone, which is kind of funny, but um, uh, but no, I um, was after college, I went, uh, I was living in Boston and I got a job teaching high school fine arts. And I did that for five years until I said, oh, I can't do this anymore. I have to do something else with food. And so I was lucky enough to be able to go to France and spend a year studying with Madeleine Cannon and uh, got a master chef diploma. And then from then on, it was like, I wanted to do food for sure. Now, when you uh, began as a chef, did you ever think you'd one day become a food writer, cookbook author, TV host? No, that's a great question. Absolutely not. If anybody had ever said I was going to have my own TV show, I think that I would have called them crazy. But um, <laughs> I really do. I um, no, I feel so lucky to do what I do. Uh, you know, I come from a very humble background. I grew up in New England, um, but you know, I do 
the one thing that's been kind of funny in my career is I keep winning awards for passion. And I think that's half of what my my life is about because I'm very passionate about food and wine and travel. So it, it just has come kind of naturally to me, but no, I never would have thought that ever. Now, speaking of travel, and I want to circle back to the tours that you do later. Um, you've traveled all over the world in your professional life. Um, how did you come to land in the Bay area? That's a great question. I actually fell in love with someone. I moved to California, but I lived in, um, as I said, I lived in Boston and I was traveling. I came out to the West Coast to visit a friend who was in architecture school, met someone and fell in love and left Boston and left my family and left everything behind and uh, came and moved here. And I don't regret it. I lived, I've lived here now for so long um, and I love living in the Bay Area. Um, I just, I love San Francisco. Good. But anything California, I mean, I love it. I've filmed here. I mean, some of my books are about, um, you know, California. So yeah, loved it. Uh, now you were a, for a time a chef at the famous Chez Panisse. Uh, can you tell me about your time there? Yeah, Chez Panisse was extraordinary. It was just, you know, okay. So I studied in France with Madeleine Kamen for one year, which was really, really difficult. And we can go back to that, but it was tough because there was only, there were only eight of us and halfway through half the group quit. And that was really tough, but she was an amazing taskmaster, great teacher. And I was lucky because I was very close to her and I learned so much from her. But when I finished, I came back to California and I, you know, I, even though I had studied French cooking, really, um, uh, and my food was very different when I finished cooking school than it is now, but um, I never really liked cream and butter. I don't really like rich food. I much prefer olive oil and fresh vegetables. So the, my dream restaurant was Chez Panisse. I really wanted to work at Chez Panisse. Um, and I was lucky enough to get an interview um, and so I went there with this, you know, resume of everything I had done and studied. I got, went in the door. I was so nervous and I sat down with Alice and I never brought out my resume. She didn't care about my resume. What she cared more about was, you know, my background and that my, both of my grandparents had these wonderful farms and that I grew up eating really fresh, healthy food and that my mother was a cook and she cared more about that. I never even showed her my resume, but um, I, working at Chez Panisse was incredible. I always called it the Harvard of restaurants because the people that worked there were so talented. And um, I spent five years there uh, and it really solidified my love, love, love of Mediterranean food. It really, um, I mean, I loved working there and I loved the people that I met. The people were extraordinary. I was you know, just surrounded by some, you know, really, really um, talented people. And I realized, wow, um, I, I, I was very lucky to be in that group. I really was. I'm still friends with Alice and I just filmed with her. Um, we did some filming. I've filmed with her a few times now. Uh, but anyway, uh, and she's been on my show. But um, yeah, I was lucky. The food was delicious and I learned so much. We just had one of our your fellow alumni on the show recently, uh, Cal Peternell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know Cal. Yeah. Yes. Now, your first cookbook was From Tapas to Meze. Um, how did you come to write that? And I hope I pronounced it correctly. Yeah, Tapas to Meze. So, um, you know, when I worked at Chez Panisse, I was doing a lot of first courses at one point, and I really, really loved that. I realized that I loved the way um, 
you start a meal. I really love that. And so I started, and I love the Mediterranean. So kind of putting those two together. And I, so I went to do some, I, I, I've always been lucky enough to be able to travel a lot. And I always chose going to the Mediterranean and you know, I'd spend time in Italy or Spain, but I noticed that people would always, they love to get together with their friends and they love to have a drink, but they would never drink without eating something. And I realized that that custom really um, was all around the entire Mediterranean. So it was obviously in Spain, it's tapas. And when you get to the South of France, it's hors d'oeuvres and, um, and then also, uh, you know, Italy, it's primi piatti and primi piatti and aperitivo and aperitivi plural. And when you get to Greece, um, Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, and Egypt, they all use the word meze, um, small plates. Uh, and then in North Africa, I was, I traveled to Morocco and even Morocco, even though they don't really drink, uh, well, sometimes, sometimes they do, but um, the, they also have a, a custom of small plates. And so I realized that that was such a, it was really a way of life and it was something that really interested me. So um, I wrote that first book and it, it did really, really well. It was, I mean, at one point it was an impossible book to, you couldn't get it at all. And you could find it for $250, which was pretty cool. And then we came out with the second, um, uh, we did a version, the first, um, version that we did in 1994 uh, didn't have any photos and then we brought it out 10 years later and it was full of photographs but the thing was when I first wrote that book people knew what tapas was they knew that that was the small plates from Spain but nobody had ever even heard of meze and I mean of course Greeks or Turks you know had heard of it but anyway it was, you know, chefs bought that book. It was just, so that was my first book. And um, I still love that book. I call it my firstborn. Uh, some of the recipes in that book are just really wonderful. And I love the whole custom um, of uh, small plates that surround the Mediterranean. Now, I first saw you on television where I was captivated with you in your naturally genial instructional style. You, I think, were um, one of the first TV hosts to really kind of have an intimate personal style. Uh, to the cooking show and it was really kind of um, inviting and it made you want to try some of the things you do. Nothing that you cooked ever seemed impossible. You always made it seem like we could do it at home ourselves. And over time you had uh, Joanne Ware's cooking class, mm -hmm. uh, Get Fresh and Plates and Places. How did you begin on TV and, and can you tell us a bit about each of these programs and what they meant to you? First of all, I want to thank you so much for your compliments because, um, you know, you hope you come across that way on television. Television's a really interesting medium. It's, you know, you just, some people can do it and some, you know, it, it, because you have to really put your heart into it and you have to really come from here. I'm pointing at my heart. Um, or, uh, but you know, thank you. So I want to say that first, but you know, I started television, which is kind of amazing to me. I started television 22 years ago, 21 years ago. And uh, my very first series was called We're Cooking in the Wine Country. And I worked, did that show for four years, um, 52 shows. But um, I was very, very lucky. Yes, I have worked incredibly hard in my career, but I was also very lucky. Uh, I say that because um, I, you know, 
I, it's a fluke that I, the first book came out that I told you from Tapas to Meze and you go on, you know, television shows and you, I did some local stuff and, you know, of course stuff in New York and I went on the Food Network and I was also on, you know, like Fox and CBS and NBC and the weekend shows. And, and so somebody put together a, a clip a, a set of clips from all those shows and somehow it circulated around, um, around KQED. And I had already been offered uh, to do my own show on the Food Network and I never responded. It was not what I wanted. I really wanted to be on PBS. My feeling has always been that I wanna leave something here. I, it's really important to me to, I don't wanna say legacy because that makes me feel like, you know, sound like I'm really somebody, but I really feel strongly that I wanna teach people something. So um, I feel really fortunate. Um, what happened with that, that tape that went around um, KQED, two producers contacted me immediately and said, we'd love to talk to you about doing a show. They were looking for a woman. Um, there were not that many people on, believe it or not, then. I mean, there was Jacques Papin and there was Julia Child and I know Martha Stewart was on. Um, there was also, oh, you know, like Galloping Gourmet or one of those, you know, I can't remember. But there weren't many people. And um, I was just, they, they saw me on camera and they just, we, they asked me if I would be interested. And honestly, after the first meeting with the first producer, I seriously walked out of that meeting and fell to the ground. I was like, wow, what just happened here? But anyway, um, yeah, I was really lucky to uh, do my first. So we did a pilot and then um, the first show started in, I, I would say, I think, I mean, I keep thinking this, but I, it was either late 99 or beginning of um, 2000. So yeah, it's been pretty much 21 years on television. I mean, yeah, you're we right. We started the pilot 22 years ago. You're right. I mean, there wasn't so much. We didn't. We didn't have the food programming like we have now. I mean, now we have so much food television. Right. But your work was um, one of just a few shows on TV, and PBS really changed people's lives. Right. I mean, for many of us who didn't have a lot of money, it was a window into another world, and it really changed many people's lives. I know it changed mine. So thank you for that. Right. Well, I'm glad there are people like you that are out there watching it. It really was a, it, it, you know, doing television, it's a lot of work, but um, now I feel so lucky to have my show and I never, ever, ever take it for granted. Never. Now you filmed some of your programs from your own kitchen, which is gorgeous, by the way. Was it difficult to do and what did you have to do to make it work for, for it to be a TV set for you? You know, it's funny you should say that because behind me, you see those plates. That's the opposite wall. I am looking right now at um, my kitchen. So, um, and I'm in the same room and people always go, oh, I thought your kid, they come to my house and they go, I thought your kitchen was so big because I live in the city of San Francisco and it's really much smaller than it looks like on television. But I, well, okay. So I worked a lot. I, the first four years working in the wine country, I was filming at Farella Park Studio, Farella's uh, winery and uh, in their kitchen. It was a really, really beautiful place, beautiful location. We'd spend three weeks, four weeks filming. Um, and I did that twice, which was great. And then the next series I did was We're Cooking in the City. And when I did We're Cooking in the City, I worked in the studio at KQED and I didn't really like the studio. I didn't feel like it was me. I really liked being in a home or working in a a real kitchen 
um, rather than one that they built for me just for the set. And I really liked opening a drawer and knowing what was gonna be inside that drawer. So we proposed to KQED after, um, after I worked on the first, uh, after that was six years into television, I proposed to KQED that I wanted to work on my own and not in the studio anymore and wanted some support from them. And I did that. So I ended, and a lot of people said, you can't do it. You can't do it, especially your kitchen. You live in a busy part of the city. You can't do it. And uh, it worked really, really well. I love being in my kitchen. Um, but it's funny now I'm thinking of transitioning outside of my kitchen. So, but it will definitely always be in a, um, a home setting or uh, yeah. Or, you know, like when I work filming Europe. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it really made a difference on the shows because it really seemed to me that much more intimate and inviting to see it in the kitchen setting as opposed to like what looked obviously in most TV shows like an obvious studio kitchen. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's really fun. To, but I do have to, you ask me, what is it like? It takes over my life. I mean, there's, you know, we, every room, my office is where we meet in the afternoon and where I have hair makeup done. Um, I live on the top floor of my house and I also have a studio on the bottom floor. Um, and uh, we take that over and we have a back kitchen there. So we take over the house and there, there are 30 stairs going from the studio upstairs to the top floor. And honestly, those people lose five pounds in a first couple of days. <laughs> and I'm serious. That is a lot of work running up and down 30 stairs because when you're doing television, we have 20 people that work on the show. So oh, wow. um, they take over my house. Absolutely. There's somebody that also stays in the studio. We eat because we don't have a place that we have a table set outside. If it's cold, we're freezing out there eating our lunches. Um, oh, wow. But I have a great team that I've worked with for a long time and um, they're huge supporters of mine. So yeah, it's great. It's really great. Now Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, in 2012, you opened Copita, a restaurant in Sausalito, and it was named one of the Bay Area's best Mexican restaurants by 7x7 Magazine. And people listening, if, if you want to know why, just look at the menu. You'll see why it's online. How did you become involved, in, inspired in opening Copita, and how was the restaurant managed through the pandemic and beyond? You know, uh, great questions, because first of all, I've written 16 cookbooks about the Mediterranean. I wrote one book about tequila, and um, I, I would love to tell you the story of how Copita opened because it's really kind of a fun story. I, we, ha my husband and I have really dear friends, Larry, uh, Larry Mendel, and his wife Debbie, and they have this beautiful, beautiful boat. It was off the coast of Mexico, and I had just written my book. And of course, you know, we're in Mexico, tequila. I thought, what a great gift to give them as a thank you gift for, so we were spending a few days with them on their boat. So anyway, I gave him the book and he said, oh, I love tequila. He said, I make the best margarita. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. I wrote the book. I make the best margarita. So anyway, 
um, uh, he, uh, we flipped through the book then he goes, you know what I think we should do? I think we should have a little, you know, like a competition. You make yours and I'll make mine. I mean, he had just said he made the best. I was like, oh, I'd like to see this. So anyway, he gives me this big shaker. He's taking a shaker and we're pouring our tequila in and freshly squeezed lime juice and agave nectar. And, um, and I'm really happy to even tell your viewers how to, uh, the recipe because it is so wonderful because we won a lot of awards at Copita. Um, because of it but anyway he shook up shook up his and I shook up mine poured he poured it into a, each poured it into glasses and handed it to each other and I took a sip of his and honestly it was like I was like it was so strong of tequila and maybe it had a drop of lime juice and a drop of agave nectar so anyway he took mine he took a sip and he said and this is so Larry Mandel Larry Mandel by the way has opened 100 restaurants so he's op he started Il Fornaio. He's opened many, many, many restaurants in the United States. And he's very forward thinking. Anyway, so he sips mine. He goes, this is exactly his words, quote unquote. God damn it, Joanne. That's the best margarita I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, if I ever found a location to open a Mexican restaurant, would you open it with me? Now, by then I had had two, two margaritas. And what do you think I said? Sure. <laughs> so anyway. So anyway, uh, I was, I mean, I, sure, I said, it was on my bucket list to open a restaurant. I have to admit, I'm a chef. I've done everything else. Why not open a restaurant? But anyway, um, I don't know what I was thinking because seriously, he called me a few months later and he said, I found the location. And I was like, for what? I didn't even remember. And he said, you know, for our Mexican restaurant, we're going to open it. <laughs> he was serious. So we opened Copita and honestly, I learned so much from him. I write about it in my most, well, my most recent book was came out in 2015 because I told everybody after six, that was my 17th cookbook. And I told, I've told everybody, you have enough recipes of mine now, um, but uh, because I've written a lot, but anyway, uh, in that book, the chapter, there's a chapter in there all about opening Copita. And honestly, it was really really difficult. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. So, um, but working with him, I learned a lot. Like he would say things like one of the things he said was when one door closes, another door opens. And things that he said to me, I just learned a lot, not only about opening a restaurant, but a lot about people, a lot about myself and just a lot about life. Uh, it was really, really an incredible experience, but it was also a difficult experience. Now you mentioned you have um, a, an enormous selection of um, over a hundred brands of tequila at Copita. And then um, you've developed this menu with your executive chef, Aaron mm -hmm. Sabato, Sabito. Yes. And um, it's just an incredible menu. I've not been there, but I really want to go. And especially now that I've seen the menu, it's like my mouth was watering just reading it. How did you guys come to pick and select what you're going to um, choose for the menu? You know, that it's been a long time coming. I mean, we've worked, it was funny, just today I was looking through some stuff um, and I came up across an old menu from Copita, completely different. I mean, there really were like eight items on it. Now there are a lot. We have really, we make every single thing. I mean, we make our own chipotle, we make our own chorizo, we make all of our own tortillas, um, just everything. And um, I, you know, the menu of, we always wanted to have ceviches and tacos, really good ceviches, really great tacos, a few first courses, a couple of big plates. Well, now it's kind of developed a little more. Um, 
I'm, our food is so good. And, you know, people say, how do you do that? I mean, because you've, you know, you, you were, you've written your whole career about the Mediterranean, you opened a Mexican restaurant. I thought when we opened Copita, seriously, my thought was when Larry asked me was I'd be walking around, you know, talking to everybody at the tables in these cute clothes saying, how is everything? Instead, our chef quit one week before we opened and I was back in my chef's jacket making guacamole. And I'm serious. I was up to my elbows in guacamole. And I mean that. I mean, bowls of, you know, guacamole this big because we, we have a 45 seat, 48 seat restaurant. And the first day we did 550 covers. It was crazy. And I don't think it's ever let up. We've done really, really well. You asked about during the pandemic, I mean, we had food to go and ha happily we're open again. And the, the amazing thing is it's, it's in Marin County, Sausalito. And um, we have huge support from both people that are tourists, but also local support. And um, it's done really, really well. And it's just a wonderful place. It's small. I love the feeling. I always wanted the interior. Had a, I had a lot to do with the interior. I wanted it always to feel warm and inviting and approachable, which is also what I wanted for my TV show. I wanted it. I want everything to be like that. I want, I want to be, uh, I guess I'm back to me, but I want to be an approachable person who what I do is approachable. And I feel like Copita is that as well. Aaron does the heavy lifting. Let me tell you, I go in and I taste all of Aaron's food, uh, which is really, really, he does a really wonderful job. The fun part about Aaron, he started with us when we opened 10 years ago, he was 18. He left us only for two years and he got some restaurant uh, other restaurant experience working at other Mexican restaurants and he just came back about it's not even a year um, a year since he's been back but he has developed into the most wonderful young man 29 years old beautiful food and I taste everything with him um, I have a lot to do with the cocktails obviously I wrote a book about tequila which has uh, 40 recipes for uh, cocktails and um, not for me from but the best uh, tequila bartenders from around the country. But anyway, Aaron and Felix, uh, our team are, are amazing. So menu looks answer. Sorry. No, you're good. The menu looks so inventive. I mean, there's so many authentic looking dishes on there, but you you put a lot of personal touch I see from the chefs there. Like the queso fundido. It looks oh. gorgeous. It, I mean, so I don't see that a lot, but then you I saw that there was some pineapple on that. And I'm like, that looks amazing. That's so freaking brilliant. And then Right. The, summer, the summer vegetable taco so good usually when i see vegetable tacos i'm like not enthused but this looks good like i'm like i would try that or bully somebody else to get it so i could try it too and yeah, then right. the pork belly tacos <gasps> i don't see so that a good. lot yeah that yeah. looks really good that's one of mine you know um the uh you say oh the the now it's a fall vegetable taco but Honestly, it is so good. Now we're doing it with kabocha squash, roast, roasted kabocha squash and oh. rajas. And rajas are um, roasted poblano chilies, not too hot. Oh my, the combination is so delicious. But you know, we do, our dishes are really, really wonderful. I mean, I, I have to say, and you also mentioned the queso fundido. It was funny because one of my partners in the restaurant, when we said we wanted to do queso, he was like, oh, that'll never sell. That is one of the biggest sellers. So it's really fun and it's delicious. I'm serious to share. It's really wonderful. 
Oh yeah, but I think I think people. I, I imagine people probably order it and then order another one and then another one because you'd yeah you'd, yeah it'd go quickly. Really good. Now, in it's addition, fun to come to our restaurant and have, you know eat with a few people. It's really nice. Well, yeah, I want to do that because I'm already kind of envisioning what I'm going to order or get other people. Right. You, sh you should order this so I can try it too. Yeah, yeah. In addition to your cookbooks, you have written um, for Cooking Light, Bon Appetit, Fine Cooking, Better Homes and Gardens, among others. What inspires you as a food writer? My travels, for sure. Definitely my travels. And then also what produce is, is in season. So for example, I mean, now I'm all excited about uh, the, the winter squash that's out. I really love it. Or the persimmons to put into a salad. And I am constantly cooking at home. I mean, yes, during the pandemic, I cooked every single day except for three days, I think, because um, I just to get food to go, it's not the same for me. Uh, though I think our food at Copita is really good. And there were a few restaurants that are really excellent, um, but I really enjoyed cooking and I had more time to do it. So uh, it was, no, I enjoyed that uh, cooking during COVID, but um, yeah, I, I really get excited. Just, I'm a person who likes to look in the refrigerator, see what I have and make something. So I always have protein. So I've always got, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, beef or pork or lamb or what chicken or whatever, but then I always have a refrigerator full of vegetables. So I know that I can always make a dinner. So for example, today I was thinking, ah, oh, what do I want to make for dinner? Well, it's a little chilly today. So I thought, I think a chicken soup would be great. I've got homemade chicken stock. I've got some, I had some frozen chicken thighs that I freeze flat. So they defrost really fast. And I have tons of vegetables. As I said, always, I grew up with a mother who always had tons of vegetables and I'm the same. We, my family always love vegetables. So I, that's what I'm making tonight. And, and I'll steer that soup in a different direction. If I want it to be Thai, I'll add a little bit of curry and some lime and some, a little bit of fish sauce. And if, if I want it to go in the Mexican direction, I might add a little cumin. And so I, I go in different directions all the time. Sometimes I'll throw in some dill and some lemon zest. And yeah, my husband, we eat chicken soup. Whenever I can't think of what I want to make, I'll just make us a chicken soup. You always feel better when you have it. Now, you, living in San Francisco, you have access to some wonderful stores and shops and stuff. What inspires you uh, just to going around San Francisco? Uh, what inspires you for your cooking? Like, there's so many great locations there. Where are some of the places that you go by that are, that are memorable for you? I have to tell you that I am a very serious um, uh, farmer's market shopper. So I go every single Sunday. I go, I used to go all the time to the ferry terminal and I love it. And I had a parking place right out front, which I loved, but um, I like it, but it's a little, it's big. Uh, and it's, I, I don't know, during the pandemic and even before that, I started going to the Clement Street Market, which yeah. I absolutely love. It's a real neighborhood market. Yeah. And I'm just, now I know all the farmers there and, I, and I've been given talks with them before, been on panels with some of the farmers. And I really, really love uh, going there. I know so many people that shop at the market now. And so I'm a farmer's market shopper. So I come home and I seriously fill my refrigerator with vegetables fruits and vegetables every single Sunday. And then I just cook with that for the week. I get so many that they probably will would last me two weeks, but I go each week. So I have a pretty full refrigerator. Right now it's looking a little empty. So I'm going to be there on Sunday. Very nice. Um, in addition to all the things we've talked about, you also have some successful food tours. 
and um, you, you travel to different locales. Um, how has the COVID quarantine affected your tours? <laughs> I'm going to cry. Um, yeah, I, kinda... I haven't been able to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I love doing them. So I do a lot of things, as you said. I have restaurants. I have a restaurant. I Well, I do also, I should have said, I have another restaurant. I have a small cafe at the University of Massachusetts. I went to school there. And um, I'm very involved with the food program there. I should have mentioned that before. And um, but anyway, um, my tours, I mean, I, oh, so I write cookbooks. I do so many things, do television, but I really love my tours. And I love it because you asked me, where do I get inspired? It's from travel. And that keeps me traveling. So every May and every October, I rent villas and people come and spend a week with me cooking and going on excursions. We all stay together in a beautiful location. And uh, I love doing them. I, I just, I love people, first of all, but I also love spending time and getting to know them. I, you know, I've traveled around the United States doing like one-off classes in every single city, but I, and I see the people out there, but I never get to know them. But when I'm spending a week with someone, I really get to know them. And I, I think the people that are attracted to these love food and wine and love people and um, I just have incredible groups of people. So I have locations in Morocco, in Marrakesh, Morocco, which everybody wants to go there. I've been doing that for 10 years and I, I probably have gone there at least once every year with a group of 15 to 18 people. And, um, and then I have two locations in Spain. So I have Rioja and also Mallorca, which is absolutely beautiful island off the coast of Spain. It's really incredible. Um, it's like, it's the place right now to go. It's very popular. Um, but the locations that I have are great. Then I also have the South of France, my, a new location for me that will be fall of uh, next year, 2022 is, um, it's in St. Paul de Vence, which is a beautiful hilltop town between Nice and Cannes. And uh, some people say Cannes, but Cannes. And a uh, beautiful, beautiful location. You look out at the Mediterranean. And then I have several locations in Italy. So I have Sicily, which I love, love, love. Um, Tuscany, a beautiful 16th century renovated villa, which is over the top in Lucca, Tuscany. I also have the Veneto and the Piedmont. I've taken my groups, like one time I took them truffle hunting. Um, uh. And then I have locations in Greece. So on the island of Syros is my new favorite. Uh, food is incredible. The people are wonderful. And uh, I know so many people now there. And so luckily I've been doing these now for also 20 years, 22 years, I think. And um, so I know a lot of people. So what happens is these are not tours where you, you, know, you find the stuff in travel books. These are, you know, these are things that are, I've discovered. So places that other people can't go to. I mean, I, we might eat in someone's beautiful villa. They might invite us for lunch. Like one of the lunches I did was in Venice years ago. It was, and we ate in someone's beautiful villa on the Grand Canal. I mean, the stuff we get to do are really, really special. So, I mean, even in, okay, Rioja in the Northern part of Spain, you fly into Bilbao, which is where the Guggenheim Museum is. It's wonderful. Ugh. And then we have, like the most incredible week, one hour south. And the, the things we do, I mean, some people go up in a hot air balloon looking over the vineyards. We go to many, many vineyards that aren't open to the public, um, but really high end. Uh, we make, oh, one of my favorite things, we make paella oh. outside on the river. 
So with my Spanish friends who are really, really incredible people, um, we just do some really special things. And, and the same in Marrakesh. I mean, we go into someone's home to have lunch. I mean, just things that you, and these homes are like over the top, but just things you would never get to experience. And uh, that is what I want to do. That's what my, I've been lucky enough to be able to travel these places. And I try to help. I try to share that with people who maybe it's their first time. You know, maybe they've never been to Tuscany, but they get to do things that they might never get to do. So anyway, I love doing them and I get inspired uh, to write new recipes. And also I could go to a location. I'm serious, Dean. I could go to a location 10 times and each time I'll learn something new. I'm serious. Uh, And I probably have heard it 10 times before, but I'm so concerned making sure my group's okay. that I probably get little snippets each time, but I really love doing them. I can't, it's just a favorite, favorite thing that I do. And I'm, so I go every May, every October. So May coming up, I have, um, I will go from uh, May, April, sorry, I start in April in Marrakesh. And then I go to Sicily, directly to Sicily. Then the Amal, oh, I forgot about the Amalfi Coast. That's a new location for me. And they're gonna get to go to the island of Capri. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also uh, right, oh, then after that, I have Tuscany. So it's four weeks in a row. And then in the fall, I'm in Mallorca, Rioja, and the south of France. And I'll probably, knowing me, add another week in there. But um, yeah, it was hard because when COVID hit, I've had to move people for two straight years. And some people were like mad and they were angry, you know, and it wasn't at me, but they were like, no, I'm not going to Europe. I'm not, they were so angry. And then I had so many people that have hung in there with me this whole time and are still going with me. And I have to say, I thank those people, but my spring trips, um, I think there's only space. Let me just think there's, oh, there is, there's one room because it just became available in Sicily. And then there's also room in Tuscany. There's two rooms, I think it might be two. It might be close to getting full, but anyway, there's also weeks in the fall, 2022. Well, I hope that everything gets back to normal so you can pick up with that because that sounds lovely. I Well, I feel like I almost went this October and I really disappointed my group, but I just felt like I didn't want people to get stuck somewhere, you know, right. like they couldn't get in. And I think by the time April comes around, I think we're in much, we're just in much better place now. And people... Wow. They all want to go. So right now in the spring, I mean, I'm seriously, I'm probably taking, uh, it has to be 70 people, at least 70, 80. Oh, wow. 70. Yeah. It has to be that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So I everybody hope... wants to go. People are ready. Yeah. I'm glad you're get, being able to get back to it. That sounds amazing. No. So I want to ask you one last question. I, I worked across in Pier 39 for a while, and it always used to drive me nuts that most people, when they come to San Francisco or the Bay Area, that's all they ever see is Pier 39. Right. For somebody who lives in San Francisco, what are some of the places you recommend to people when you know they're coming to the Bay Area or the Napa Valley? Because you, you're you very connected to the Napa Valley as well. What are some of the places you like to recommend that people go to, just somebody who's you know who, who knows the Bay Area well? Yeah, um, that's such a good question, really. Um, And it is true, people go to Pier 39. Um, And you know, I do have to say that after COVID, things have changed in San Francisco, like every place, and not everything is open. But I do tell people, go to the ferry terminal. I think the San Francisco ferry terminal is so wonderful. You can go 
wonderful wine bar there. There's fabulous cheese. There's just so many great things. Um, really good friends of mine who um, they they were one of the funders for my TV show. Um, Czar Nikolai Caviar. They just opened oh, a yeah. caviar bar there. Uh, I think you can't miss that. That is just fantastic. I think another thing that's great is take the ferry over to Sausalito. Yes. And I'm not just saying come to Copita. One thing that's really funny is honestly, I travel everywhere around the world and people always say to me, oh, where's your restaurant? And they, I, or I say my restaurant's in San Francisco. They say, oh, we're in San Francisco. And I say, and they're, you know, they're, they're okay about San Francisco. But when I say Sausalito, I think, oh, Sausalito. That's the other place I think people should go. Take the ferry to Sausalito. Have it, you can have a couple of margaritas, go back by ferry and walk to your hotel. That's really, really a wonderful thing to do. I happen to live in the Fillmore, Fillmore area. I love Fillmore Street. I tell people, if you can stay near Fillmore Street, it's wonderful. Eat at places like Nari, N-A-R-I, Kokari, fantastic, Nopa, N-O-P-A. Um, these are some restaurants that are just so wonderful and so, um, just so San Francisco, uh, and of course, come to Copita. And yes. um, yeah, but also uh, Napa and Sonoma, I spend a lot of time there. I love in Sonoma, I love the town of Healdsburg. It's just oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and uh, so many great wineries. Just uh, last weekend, my husband and I were in Napa and we just went to Frank Family Winery. And that's just such a great place to visit. Um, let's see, what else do I, what other places do I like to go? I mean, I can tell you some, but some of them are, you know, a little more expensive and I like to tell people all, uh, kinds of places, but I was thinking about Frank family because we just went there and everybody was so nice sitting outside. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, if you're in Sonoma, um, oh, it's so funny that on my, I'm blanking. Lioko is really fun. It's a great place to taste right in Healdsburg. Um, oh my, I love Linmar. Go have lunch in Sonoma at Linmar, L-Y-N-M-A-R. Absolutely delicious. Um, oh, there's just so many places. Oh, um, uh, Dutton Goldfield, wonderful Pinot Noirs. If you really wanna go high-end, Paul Hobbs is over the top. Uh, that's uh, That was Sonoma, cause I just, so I just did um, a three, four day, course in Sonoma, which was really, really fun. And uh, we were cooking and all stayed together in this beautiful villa. And uh, we went to Linmar for lunch. And some people said it was the best lunch they'd oh, ever had, which nice. was really great. Very so, cool. um, and it's funny that I can't think of more in Napa, but um, where should you eat in Napa? Oh, I love um, oh, Chris Costa's restaurant. Uh, um, 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 Charter Oak. Charter Oak's really wonderful. Um, let's see where else should you eat. Redwood is great. Um, oh, there's so many great places and my mind is just blanking. Where did Joe and I eat? Um, uh, oh, Enotri, Enotri. You know what's really fun too in Napa, which was the first time I've done this. We stayed downtown Napa. There's a yeah. few hotels there. Downtown Napa, because you can just walk at night and have dinner or go have a glass of wine. There's some wine bars and wine tasting rooms and go to the Oxbow. So there's so yeah. much to do there too. Napa's changed a lot in the last 20, 30 years. It's really more tourist friendly now than it was. Yeah. yeah. You mean downtown? Yeah. Yeah, there's so much more there. I mean, there's all those, yeah, hotels and great restaurants. And yeah, it's great. It's yeah. really great. Well, I want to thank you very much for being on my show. I really enjoy getting a chance to talk with you. 
Yeah, you too, Dean. Thank you so much. You asked some great questions. Thank you. Um, that was my conversation with Chef Joanne Ware. I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to her. I want to recommend her book, Kitchen Gypsy Recipes and Stories from a Lifelong Romance with Food, The Oxmore House, published in 2015. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and we have a link to it in our bio section, so check that out there. It's a wonderful memoir, as well as just a great all-around cookbook um, you're really going to enjoy. It's fun, uh, with a lot of beautiful pictures, and uh, I really highly recommend it. So, on Friday, we're going to be having another wonderful food writer on our podcast, Dara Goldstein who has written Beyond the North Wind, Russia and Recipes and Lore, among many other books. Um, she's a famous food writer, and she's exceedingly prolific as well, uh, just like Joanne Ware. So um, I want to recommend you be here on Friday to hear me talking again to Dara Goldstein, author of Beyond the North Wind. Until then, happy cooking. I also want to mention I do this podcast uh, for free. I don't get a lot of money um, out of it, but we do have a link in the bio section. You can uh, buy me a cup of coffee. There's a little contributing portion. Uh, you can actually put a couple of dollars on there to buy me a latte or something. So I like to mention that in passing. Until next time on the show, happy cooking.